Come on, would you stand with me and let's give the Lord praise. His presence, His power, His Spirit is here tonight to encourage you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for the hope that I have in Christ. Praise God. You're going to build on something. You're going to build on man's opinions. You're going to build on fads. You're going to build on fashions. You're going to build on money. You're going to build on something. But I'm here to tell you that everything is just sand if it's not the firm foundation, which is Christ. Build on Christ because He will never, never let you down. He may not always do it the way you want Him to do it, but I promise you this, He'll do right by you. Yes, He will. Turn around to somebody and just give them a high five or just wave at them. Tell them you're glad to see them tonight. Thank you, Lord. And praise God. I think that maybe Lauren has already gone up and uh, maybe they're in hyphen. But anyway, today's Lauren's birthday. So if you happen to see Lauren, tell her happy birthday. And I think it's Cherie's, Cherie's birthday. Cherie, do you have a birthday coming up tomorrow? You're going to be the big five? Oh, oh, y'all, Cherie, join the club. It's a good club. It's a good club. Happy birthday to Cherie and Lauren. That's wonderful. To all of you tonight, I want you to know that I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to get yourself dressed, get your shower, get your family bathed after a long, hard day of work and coming to be in the house of the Lord. I do appreciate it, and I thank you for it. And I will do my best to always value your time. Father, it's a great privilege to stand before this incredible group of people, the body of Christ. And I pray for the next, Lord, 30 minutes that you would just anoint my mind and my mouth and help me to speak into the heart of this church about the fruit of the Spirit. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. amen. God bless you. I'm going to take my thought tonight from the book of Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to just start. When I was, when I was eight years old, I moved to a very small East Texas town. And my mom and dad, probably when I was nine, started a garden. And it was, I want to say, maybe a half a mile down the road. And um, I would sit in my sister's lap in a Ford Fairlane and I would get to drive because that was the only, about the only way my parents could entice me to come to this garden. Because we grew a garden and brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I hated it. I hated it. Because one of my responsibilities was I had to weed the garden. And we had a fairly large garden. And so I would weed the garden, but my sister, my sister had an allergic reaction to like stalks of corn and even watermelon vines. She would break out in this red rash. And so she couldn't really help in the garden because of her allergies. So me and mom and, and, and dad, we would we would shuck the corn, we would dig up the new potatoes, we would pluck the watermelons from the vine, 
And we would do all the work. But here was what was so ironic. Sherry could eat the shuck corn. And she could eat the new potatoes. And she could eat the plucked watermelons. And so I grew up in church, so I knew a couple of verses. I knew 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10, which says, if a man does not work, he ought not eat. (laughs) And I quoted 2 Thessalonians 3 and 10 to my parents. And I said, the Bible says that if a man does not work, he ought not eat. And unfortunately, my parents didn't think that applied to my sister's situation. (laughs) But I can remember us sitting at the table and Sherry just eating that corn and then, you know, eating those new potatoes. And then after it was all over, the, of course, we chilled the watermelon and then we would cut it. And she would just look over me and smile this sinister smile like, <laughs> I get to eat what you had to work for. And I'm going to tell you, it made me so mad. And to this day, y'all, to this day, me and my sister still laugh about it. And she has told me so many times, Wayne, if you don't make heaven, it's because you've never forgiven me for not having to help out in that garden. And I've assured her I have uh, forgiven her. But I want to come back to this statement of how I was so angry. And I really was at the time, but as a nine-year-old boy, I was angry that she got to participate in something she didn't have to work for. And I'm going to come back to that statement probably at the end of my message tonight. Now, the kind of fruit that we grew in our garden as kids is different than the kind of fruit that I'm going to talk about tonight. The kind of fruit I want to talk about tonight is spiritual fruit. And I'd like for you to look up on the screen. I believe this is going to be Galatians chapter 5. And I think it starts around verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So now here's the question to all of, all of us. How do we get this fruit? How do we get this fruit? If we're supposed to have this fruit, how do we get this fruit? Well, I will tell you this. God doesn't just zap you one day and all of a sudden you just miraculously have all nine fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. See, God uses a process called time. And there's a seed that is planted, and I'm going to get to that in just a minute. But I'm going to tell you that one of the ways you get fruit in your life, I want them to put this up here. Spiritual communion is the outcome, or spiritual fruit is the outcome of communion with Christ. I'm going to say that again, okay? Spiritual fruit is the outcome of communion with Christ. You say, I want to bear spiritual fruit. Then you're going to have to commune with Christ. You're going to have to spend some time praying. You're going to have to spend some time meditating in His Word. Can I get a witness? 
I want you now to look at John 15 and 5. Here's what it says. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What is that we're talking about? Well, I'm not so sure we could even walk in here without the help of the Holy Spirit. But what this is referring to is that you can do nothing of spiritual value without the Lord. You can do nothing of lasting, eternal value without the Lord. Does that make sense? So I want to say this again. Spiritual fruit is the outcome of communion with God. You must abide in Him and let Him abide in you. And when you do that, then guess what? The fruit starts growing. Because there is no such thing as instant fruit. I'm going to say that again. There is no such thing as instant fruit. Brothers and sisters, if you're taking notes, write this down. You can never fake a harvest. You can never fake a harvest. It takes time. What does the scripture say? In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. Why? Because it takes time for that fruit to grow in your life. You don't get it instantly. Does that make sense? So I'm going to give you some very practical things tonight, and then I'm probably going to preach a little bit as well. Here's something very practical. If you want to produce fruit, then you're going to have to commit to reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Word of God. You say, Pastor, I don't know how to meditate. How many of you have ever worried? Let me see your hand, please. Show me your hand. Then you've meditated. You say, what do you mean? Well, you've just... Meditation is just, when you worry, it's only meditating on the wrong thing. This is why I have challenged you every day to wake up and say, God loves me. How many's, how many's up going? I had a sweet lady tell me, thank you, Pastor, for challenging us to do that. She said, it's really helping me. See, what you got to do is instead of, I'm going to just repeat some things because we don't get them the first time. Okay. You need to hear them over and over again. You say, Pastor, are you studying? Sure, I'm studying. But I say some things over because you get them. You've been, some of you have been singing the same song since the sixties. So it's okay if I repeat myself. It's not because I'm not studying. You just need to keep hearing it. So it gets from your head to your heart. Does that make sense? Okay. So you got, you, there's a lot of Christians. There's a lot of Christians. I'm going to say something here. Please don't take offense. But I've had numerous people come up to me and say, Pastor, why? How are you preaching the way that you're preaching? I've never heard that before. Now, please do not take offense at this. Here's what I want to tell you. A lot of people read their Bible. They don't study it. You, you, you got to be able to take this book and understand that this book was written thousands of years ago to a totally different culture than the culture we're in. And we look at everything through Western eyes. And when you do that, you're going to misconstrue what some of the Bible is talking about. It's like if I said, if I wrote today, today, 
that I am just pulling Sister June's leg. And 2,000 years, a totally different culture reads that statement. They're going to think that I was literally probably pulling Sister June's leg. That's not what I mean. I meant we were just joking. Does that make sense? When you read the Bible through Western eyes and you don't go back and dig in the context, then you can misconstrue what the Word of God is saying. This is why I'm saying you need a strong concordance. You need some tools, some computer tools to do more than just read the Bible. You need to study it. And then you need to just sit there and meditate on it for a minute and say, God, what are you saying to me through this? What is this saying? Does that make sense? Okay, look at 1 John. 1 John 3 and 19. It says, no one born of God No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Okay, I guess we've got the wrong. I'm at 1 John 3 and 19. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Okay, here's the difference, ladies and gentlemen. Are you going to mess up? Yes, you are. There's a difference in messing up and having a lifestyle of sin. This is what John is talking about here. He is saying no one is born of God who makes a practice of sinning. If you say you're a Christian and you just keep sinning, 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 then you know what? You probably do not have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You probably haven't been born again. Because if you've been born again and you got the seed of God's word in you, the Holy Spirit will convict you. Does that make sense? Here's what I believe. I think I can prove it, but I don't have the time. I believe that God's seed, when it says the seed of God's word, I believe it's twofold. I believe that it is God's word. His seed is his word. And I also believe that his seed is the Holy Spirit. Okay. So when you get the seed of God's word and you get the Holy Spirit, both say both. Both are needed to cultivate and grow the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The Bible says to hide His Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. Okay. Now, some Christians read their Bible, but very few study their Bible. Prayer is communion with God. Meditating upon the Word is communion with God. That's what produces mature fruit. Here's another process. Ask God to use His Word to change the way you think. I'm going to say it again. Ask God to use His Word to change the way you think. The reason why most people walk around in a circle is because they've never allowed God's word to change the way they think. It's stinking thinking that keeps them down. When you get a revelation of who you are in Christ, that lifts you up. You start seeing yourself differently. You start thinking differently. You start behaving differently. Why? Because I am not who they say I am. I am who he says I am. When you get that, it starts changing you, okay? Then the next thing you do is you invite God to show us things about ourselves. 
You want to pray a dangerous prayer? Pray this prayer. God, show me things about myself that needs to change. Trust me, he'll hop on that like white on rice. He'll be happy to answer that one. You with me? Then you ask God to help you to respond to difficult people and unpleasant situations as Jesus would. You know how you learn to love? You be around difficult people. You know how you learn to love? You be around difficult situations. And you learn to love. There are some things that the Holy Spirit spoke to me 20 years ago. And he told me, he said, Wayne, you will never have to go through that again. And I never have and I never will. You know why? Because I passed the test. Job never was. He, Job, y'all stay with me because I can see y'all doubting. So I'm going to come at you. Job never had to go through that test again. You know why? Because he passed it. Because God's not about keeping you in test after test after test after test. Now, here's what happened. If you don't pass it the first time, he don't say, oh, you're so cute. I'm going to put you in second grade. If you don't pass first grade, you don't get to go to second grade. God don't work like our education system. Sorry, Sister Gwen. Don't mean to throw any shade on you. I know it's not you. It's a system, right? God says, okay, if you don't pass this, you just keep going around it. And guess what? I'll let you go around it for 40 years. Not because he don't love you, because you got to pass the test. He can't take you where he wants you to go until you pass this test. But you don't learn how to love until you love difficult people and love through difficult situations. Does that make sense? Joseph never had to go back to Egypt. He, he passed that test. Right? Okay. Now I'm going to just real quick, I'm going to just throw this in. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to put another dollar in the, in the offering tonight. I'm going to just throw it in free. How do, how do I, I try to, I try to live by this right here, what I'm going to give you. I I feel like this is a a nugget. I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you. Here, here's four ways to show people that you love them. You ready? People that you have a difference with. Here's how you can show people. First of all, listen to them. One of the greatest things you can do. Remember this. God gave you two ears and one tongue. Mm. Listen. Listen, when you listen to people, you affirm their dignity. Look at them. Look at them. When Molly and Trey would come to me and they tap me, if I was reading a newspaper or watching a TV or something, not always, but probably 90 plus percent of the time, I would even turn the TV on mute, set the newspaper down. Why? Because when I give them eye contact, it means they have my full attention. People want your attention. Look them in the eye. You're giving them the most important thing. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. Because whatever you L-O-V-E, you will give T-I-M-E. Because you can't, you, you can make more money. You can't make more time. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Look at them in the eye. Number two, learn from them. I, I'm going to just tell you right now, Randy, Randy, if I listen to him and ask him the right questions, Randy could teach me something about woodwork because I don't know that much about it. But Randy's been in it all his life. Is it Roger or Randy? Randy. Yep. Okay. All I need to do is ask him the right questions. You can almost learn from just about anybody if you'll ask the right questions. Y'all have time for me. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to share with you two of the most powerful things in the world. Number one is love. Love is the most powerful force in the entire world. Right next to it is a question. 
Don't forget that. A question is one of the most powerful things you can ask yourself. See, cut the TV off, get your earbuds out of your ear, cut your phone off, and ask yourself the question, why am I so angry? Why do I stay angry all the time? And marinate on that. Let God begin to show you why you're angry. Ask yourself the question. See, most people are very uncomfortable with silence. But it's hard for God to love on you while you're running. you got to get still. Mm. Here's the next thing you can do. When you're dealing with difficult people, laugh with them. Here's what my pastor told me, y'all. My pastor's brother Daryl Hargrove out of Dallas, Texas, actually in Garland. And his mama goes to church here, Sister Spikes. That's his mama. Here's what he told me. He said one day, he said, Wayne, he said, we had just started. He said, uh, we had just started this little drama in our church and we had live sheep. And he said, this little elderly lady, it just made her mad. And she come up to me and she said, Brother Hargrove, I can't believe we have desecrated the house of God with live sheep in this house. And he said, Wayne, wouldn't you know it? Just about that time, sheep do what they do. (laughs) Do. (laughs) And Pastor Hargrove looked at her and he said... He said, sis, don't have such a bad day about it. And he said, Wayne, she just looked at me, started laughing and hugged me. He said, nothing can make you mad, can it, Pastor? Nope. What, what am I saying? Here's what I'm going to tell you. This is very important. The word humor and humility come from the same root word. Oh, I'm going to share this with you right here. The word humor and humility come from the same root word. The mark of humility is the ability to laugh at yourself. Being able to laugh at yourselves. I see Christians all buttoned up, tight, serious. Can't ever laugh. That's why I want joy to be one of the values of this church. We ought to be able to high five one another, laugh with one another. Mess around and kind of joke with one another. And church ought to be fun. Yes, it ought to be. Yes. I'm not talking about that it's not serious. But I'm talking about we can come in and have a move of God. And still enjoy it while we're having it. We don't have to be all buttoned up and tightened. Bless God. Are y'all with me? Okay. Can I keep preaching? So why is fruit so important? Why are we going to spend the next few weeks on talking about fruit? I'm, I'm going to tell you. Now, I've said this before, but you need to get it. Think about this. It was fruit that defeated Satan on the cross. This is the only kingdom that uses fruit as a weapon. Why? Because this is an inverted kingdom. Our weapons, the Bible says, are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, through the pulling down of stronghold. Jesus did not defeat Satan with a sword, a literal sword, a shield, a slingshot, none of that. You know how he defeated him? Through the fruit of the Spirit. And I can prove it. I don't have time to, but I can. If you need me to, I will. I got scripture for every fruit of the Spirit when Jesus hung on the cross. Number one, love put him there. The last one, self-control, kept him there. 
Because if he would have jumped down from the cross, the whole plan of God would have been aborted. And you and I wouldn't be here tonight. Self-control. When everybody said, show us a sign. And God knew he could call 72,000 angels down and show them any sign that would blow their mind. He just stood there. Or not, not stood there, but hung there. Right? For the, here's joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Why? Because he looked all the way through eternity and he saw the day of Pentecost and he saw you and I being saved. And so he said, for the joy set before me, I'll hang right here because I know there's a Randy coming and I'm going to forgive him of his sins and I'm going to baptize him. And I'm going to fill it with my spirit. Does that make sense? See, the cross back, I think it's in Mark. I don't know the exact chapter and verse, but I think it's in Mark where Mark calls the cross a tree. It's in there. It's in your Bible. Think about this. This is the only tree that bore all nine fruit of the spirit. It's the only tree. And and, and he defeated him. Now, please, again, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. Don't get sideways with me. I believe in prayer. I believe in intercession. I believe in all night prayer meetings. I had many of them, been participated in many of them. But Jesus did not beat the devil. He didn't, he didn't. You don't see him on the cross doing what we call spiritual warfare. And I'm not against spiritual warfare. But you don't see him on the cross doing that. See, we believe that spiritual warfare is, we get, y'all, we are funny. We are so funny. Especially us Pentecostals. We get to the altar and we're like, God save them. Oh, God save them. Like, we love people more than He does. Really? I mean, He's the only one that ever went to the cross. For barely a righteous man would few die, right? All right, and yet Jesus died for us while we were sinners. And we're down there beating, beating the altar like doing spiritual warfare, begging God to save them. Begging God, oh God, would you heal them? Would you heal them? God, would you heal them? Y'all, please don't, I don't want to get sideways with you. Listen, listen to me. He's already done it. He looks at us and it's like he probably chuckles. You're goofy. I love you, but you're goofy. I've already done all sins, past, present, and future. Y'all, if Jesus had to forgive a sin every time it was committed with 7 billion people in the world, I promise you, 24-7, every minute of every day, somebody's sinning. All Jesus would be doing is hanging on the cross. I know you wasn't taught this, but listen, I'm going to just tell you, Dig in your Bible, and when he said it's finished, that's what he meant. It's finished. He forgave every sin since Adam until the last sin is ever committed before the rapture of the church. Now, you got to ask him. You have not because you ask not. you got to ask him, but he's already done it. Salvation has already been given. All you got to say is, God, I want to be filled with your spirit. See, you don't have to beg God to do what he's already done. You're never going to love souls more than God loves souls. You're never going to want people healed more than God wants people healed. Why? Because he's already proved how much he did it by going to Calvary. That's how, that's how, that's how Jesus defeated Satan was through the fruit of the spirit. So, man, I get so fired up about this, y'all. 
I mean, I just get fired up about it. I'm like preaching to David all the time. And David knows this. I don't care. I just preach to it. I preach it to the preacher. See, the fruit. What is the fruit of the spirit? Okay. Here's a very easy definition. The fruit of the spirit is simply the nature of God. That's all it is. The fruit of the spirit is simply the nature. It's the characteristics of God. Love is not something God does. It is who he is. In fact, every good gift, y'all, every good gift that we have, this is in your Bible. Every good gift comes what? Down. From who? The Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing you have comes from God. Okay, I have way more notes than I can share with you tonight. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop right here because this has been in my spirit and I gave it yesterday morning to all of our sweet ladies and gentlemen in prayer because I just couldn't contain it. I had to say it. I'm going to say it to you. And once again, all I ask, please, all I ask is that you let me finish and just keep an open mind before you judge what I say. Okay. I had an elder come to me And here's what this elder said. Pastor, I do not understand why I am not healed. I pay my tithes. I've been coming to church for over 40 years. I live a holy life. And I'm a good person. And I do not, for the life of me, know why God is not healing me. Okay. And because they're an elder, I... I really watched my words and I just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But here is what I want to explain to you. They never said this, but here's what they meant by that. Because I pay my tithes, because I've come to church faithfully for 40 years, because I try to dress holy, God owes me something. Now, we don't ever say that, but that's really what we mean. So what I want to do is I want to come alongside you and I want to teach differently. We need to come to God not on the basis of I've paid my tithes for 40 years. I've come to church for 40 years. I taught Sunday school for 40 years and I try to dress holy. That's not the basis that we need to come to God on. We need to come to God on the basis of I was a sinner and all I ever deserved was death and hell. So God, whatever you do for me now is just an expression of your grace. Oh my God. Galatians, y'all, five and six. I didn't give them this scripture because... I didn't think I was going to go this route, but here it is. Galatians 5 and 6. You ought to look it up when you get home. It says, faith that worketh by love. I'm going to say that again. Galatians 5 and 6. Faith that worketh by love. What does that mean? The reason why you have a faith problem is because you have a love problem. 
Because if you really believed God loved you, then you wouldn't have a problem with his word that says he would bless you according to his riches in Christ Jesus. But because you have a love problem, you think you're an orphan and that your heavenly father don't love you. But when you get the revelation that God loves you, then guess what? A lot of belief starts going out the door. God loves me so much that he's not a man that he should lie. If he has promised it, he will perform it. And I don't come to him based off of what I've done. I come to him based off of what he has done for me. I, I now I now believe, Marlene, with all of my heart, that the greatest revelation that anybody can ever have is the love of God. I believe it. I am totally 100% convinced of it. Thank you for backing me up back there, Brother Jones. I believe that the greatest revelation that you can get is how much God loves you. It's not about how much do I love God. You need the revelation of how much God loves you. Because when you understand how much God loves you and what he did for you. Can I keep talking to you? Okay. All right. So here's what I want you to do in your mind, please. I want you to flip the script. Okay. I want you now to become God. I want everyone in this room to thank your God. You're God, you left heaven, your throne, your angelic host, your splendor, your beauty, your opulence in heaven. You left it. You came down to this earth. You were born in a very poor home. You became, the scripture says, he became poor that we might become rich. Now, here, here is God who created the universe. Are y'all with me? He owns all things. He left it all, became poor, grew up in Nazareth, which really was a ghetto town. He was rejected of his own family. He came to his own and his own received him not. His own brothers and sisters didn't believe him. James and Jude, his half brothers, didn't believe him until he was resurrected. Bible says that. So he comes to the religious people and they reject him. His own family rejects him. So much so he goes to the cross. He takes 39 stripes on his back for the healing of our bodies. He takes a crown of thorns on his head so that we could have peace in ours. He takes a spear in his side, blood and water, to give birth to the New Testament church because blood and water is what a woman uh, comes forth when she gives birth. He took spikes in his hands and a nail in his feet. He's beaten... The Bible says in Isaiah, his face was marred more than any other man. Why? Because he took the whole sin, all the sins of the world. Now, just think of the vile sin that's been since mankind. The wickedness and vileness, things you can't even think of, things you can't even wrap your mind around. He took it all upon him. Are y'all still with me? Okay. Then he goes to... Hell, conquers hell, conquers death, is resurrected. Okay? And now you come up and somebody comes up to you as God and says, "Uh, thank you for all that, but what I do saves me. 
So, you mean to tell me that I went through all of that? But you think what you do saves you? So now I'm going to just ask you a question. What would your response be? Would you be offended? You mean to tell me I went through all of that, but now you're going to come to me and tell me that what you do saves you? How come it's got quiet in here? Ladies and gentlemen, my holiness, if you want to call it that, which is not that, because holiness is separating yourself from sin. That's what holiness is. Holiness is not dress. That's a standard. A standard does not, a standard no more saves you. Now, do I believe in standards? Sure I do. But I believe in standards as an expression because my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. So I want to present myself in such a manner as I think Christ would present himself. So, yes, I believe in standards, but I don't believe it's in standards is what saves me. God is what saves me and what he did at Calvary is how I am justified, sanctified and will one day be glorified. Now, do I have any part in justification? None. Absolutely zero. He did it all at the cross. Will I have any part in glorification? Nope, I sure won't. Because he's going to be the one to change my body from corruptible to incorruptible. So where's my part? This is called sanctification. This is time in the word, study, meditation, prayer, communion with him. Why? So that I can bear all nine fruit of the spirit so that when the world looks at me, God gets the glory because they feel the love. They see the joy. They can get around me and say, why do you have a peace when you ought to be in the loony bin? Why? Because I've been communion with God. I've been in communion with God. And God has downloaded into my innermost being a peace that will surpass your understanding. A joy where you can wake up and your bills are not paid. But you know my God shall supply all of my need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Because I'm not an orphan and I'm not an atheist. I believe in my heavenly father. He wants to prosper me and salvation is more than just speaking with tongues. Salvation is prosperity. It's healing. It's blessings. It's peace. It's being blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Oh, y'all got to stand. Please stand. Man, can I do part two next week, David? No, I won't. No, I won't. I won't look my goodness, man. See, uh, y'all just want me to, all right, we'll see. I, 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 I want to share it. Part two, part two. Okay. See, what I, want, what, what I want you to get away from is I want you to get away from the fear of punishment. Because fear, fear it, it can drive you, right? But fear is all about control. And eventually, you're going to get to a place. 
Here's, boy, I, I remember my daddy saying something to me. He said, Wayne, he said, if I ever heard the voice of God, one night I heard it. He said, this is what the voice of God said to me. He said, Nelson, that was my dad's name. Nelson, if my love can't hold you, nothing else will. See, because here's, here's the deal. If I got to scare you to get you in the altar, I got to keep scaring you to keep getting you in the altar. And then eventually it's going to wear off. See, I do, I still do what I do as an expression of my love. But I'm resting in that. I'm not worried now, am I doing enough? I wake up and I say, God put me at the right place at the right time. Help me to meet the right people. Help me to read the right books. I want to thank the right thoughts. You get me where you need me when you need me there. And then I just trust. And I'm at rest. Father, I just thank you. Here's what your word says. Now abideth faith, hope, and charity. But the greatest of these is charity. Paul said, let your roots go down deep. Deep. Why? Because the root of love, that brings forth the fruit of all the other gifts. It's the root of love. It is the greatest. Love is the greatest. And when we get a revelation of how much you love us, it is going to transform our life. Father, I just thank you right now. If you're a believer and if you receive this word, would you just lift up your hand and ask God to give you a revelation? Lord, help me to get this revelation of your word. It'll change your life. It'll transform you.
especially all of you older ones. How do I come to the Lord? You know how to come to the Lord and say, God, I know I was a sinner. And I know I deserve nothing but death and hell. But I receive my healing right now by grace through faith in the finished work of Calvary. On the authority of the name of Jesus. Father, right now, we don't come to you based off of what we've done. Somebody right now in this presence can receive what you need. We don't come tonight, Lord, based off of what we've done. We know that our righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God. So, Father, we don't come based off of what we've done. We come based off of what you have done for us. And we receive on the authority of your word, God, help today, strength today, peace in our mind, joy in our spirit, prosperity in our family, and the blessings of the Lord as we come in and the blessings of the Lord as we go out because you love us. Come on, somebody, give God some praise in his house. They're going to sing you out of here. God bless you. Turn around. Give some love away. Give a smile away. Give a handshake away. I love you. I love you. Wake up in the morning saying God loves me. God, you're crazy about me.
take it to two of us. Can I help you with something?